Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now. But I realize what's at home. Oh no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But yeah, no crate, no pee pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? Get Pet Essentials from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Intergenerational Politics with Jill Weinbanks and Victor Shi, where we host weekly political discussions that are engaging and relevant to all generations. As always, we want to thank you for listening to Intergenerational Politics. If you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts to support future episodes. And we also have a website, intergenerationalpolitics.com. This is Victor Shi. I'll be an incoming freshman next year at UCLA and also co-host this podcast with Jill. And I'm Jill Weinbanks. I'm an MSNBC legal analyst and the author of The Watergate Girl about my experience as the only woman on the trial team for the Watergate trial. And today is the crucial Georgia Senate runoffs. The power of the Senate hangs in the balance. Um, If John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock are elected, Joe Biden has a fighting chance to still pass the legislation he promised during his campaign. Um, But if neither one of them or if only one of the Democratic candidates is elected, Mitch McConnell will remain Senate Majority Leader with continuing power to block any legislation he doesn't like that the Democrat House and Biden propose, as well as cabinet choices and judicial nominees. So the stakes are incredibly high. Um, To help us understand the state of the race in Georgia, we are excited to have with us Tom Perez, the chair of the DNC. Uh, He previously served as Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Rights at DOJ, as well as U.S. Secretary of Labor. Um, We also invited his Republican counterpart, Ronna uh, Ronna McDaniel, but we got no response, but we would love to have her on if she does agree. But in the meantime, we thank you so much for being here. Great to be with you and all of your listeners. And Jill, thank you for your lifetime of service as well. Thank you so much. And we really appreciate your being here on such a last minute uh, episode. But as we realized what was happening in Georgia, we felt that we really wanted to have a discussion for our listeners. So let's start with some background to the Georgia runoffs. And that means looking back to just a few months ago uh, in November, the election which resulted in President-elect Biden with an overwhelming margin, but we suffered some losses in many down-ballot races. And I want to talk to you about what you think went wrong in down-ballot races, especially the House and the Senate. Well, I, I, I would, um, I think it's important to start out by talking about what went right. Because okay. if you look at the last four years, Jill, when I started I ran for DNC chair four years ago. Uh, We had 15 Democratic governors. We now have 23. Uh, We were in the teens in terms of number of state attorneys general. And as a lawyer, you know that uh, state attorneys general are huge. And now we have 24 state attorneys general. We have flipped eight legislative chambers over the last four years from red to blue. And we're in redistricting right now. That's a big deal. Over 400 seats in state legislatures flipped. Uh, We have the U.S. House of Representatives. Four years ago, we didn't have that. We didn't have the Senate. And in the run-up to Georgia uh, today, 
uh, we are, I mean, Georgia is on my mind. <laughs> and, uh, and the most important prize of all over the last four years was winning the presidency and winning it decisively, as you correctly point out. We've had six elections in the 21st century. This was the second largest margin of victory, uh, larger than Obama's reelect in 2012. Uh, the last time um, a, a challenger won with this large a percentage of the vote was when FDR won in 1932. This was a decisive victory. And, uh, it, and it's something we're proud of. And, and it's a victory with record turnout, Jill and, and uh, Victor. And, and that's something that we should celebrate on a bipartisan basis. Uh, Joe Biden you know, won by over 7 million votes. At the same time, uh, it, it is undeniably accurate that over 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. And, and that's part of the answer to your question. He was able to win a lot of down ballot races because um, in those races, uh, his people turned out. Uh, whenever you have a wave election, and in the US House, 2018 was a wave for Democrats, 2010 was a wave for Republicans. What you see, Jill, in the ensuing cycle, and 2012 was the case and 2020 was the case, uh, the party that wins the wave tends to lose some of those, and here's why. When you win the wave, you tend to win in districts where uh, the other party uh, has a distinctive advantage in a presidential. So for instance, you know, we won a, an election in 2018 in Oklahoma in the district that Donald Trump won in 2016 by something like 14 or 15 points. Uh, similar case in uh, the first congressional district of New Mexico. And what happened in 2020 is that in a presidential, you have um, greater turnout and the, those Trump voters in that district did turn out. And that's why we weren't able to retain those seats. So that happens. Uh, it happened to the Republicans in 2012. It happened uh, to the Democrats uh, to some extent in 2020. Uh, and so uh, and that's where we are. But uh, what, what is the unfinished business of the 2020 cycle is indeed Georgia. Uh, and uh, the difference between 48 and 50, uh, Victor was spot on. It's impossible to overstate the importance of today's election uh, because uh, we know Mitch McConnell's playbook. We, he was very transparent about it in 2009. I want Barack Obama, he said, to be a one-term president. Nothing subtle. Uh, if Barack Obama says the sky is blue, I am going to assert that the sky is black. Uh, and that's what they did. Obstruct, obstruct, obstruct. And I think the American people want results. You know, they want a president who's going to um, you know, fight for health care. They want a president who's going to get this pandemic in the rearview mirror. They want a president who's going to raise the minimum wage. They want a president uh, who can build back better. And if we have an obstructionist like Mitch McConnell in the Senate, it's going to be really hard to do that. That's a great answer. And I'm glad you focused on the positive uh, while still answering uh, what went wrong in terms of not having uh, as big a margin in the House and hopefully having 50-50 in the Senate. Um, what about the strategy and messaging that took place in 2020? Um, and, and I'm particularly concerned about how facts are communicated. And I don't mean to the MSNBC audience, I'm talking about how do we get facts that we believe are facts um, and that I say all the time on MSNBC are facts, 
but I know that I'm speaking to people who already believe that, and I'm not reaching out to the people who are listening to Fox News and the tweets of the president. How can we improve our messaging and the factual basis? Well, again, at the presidential level, let me reiterate, we won by 7 million votes. It was a decisive victory uh, over uh, his margin is more than 5%. And in the year 2020, 5% is a really solid margin. Uh, He had the same number of electoral votes, uh, Joe Biden, as Donald Trump four years ago. And Donald Trump, uh, to use his term, called that a landslide. Uh, ours is more of a landslide because we not only won the same number of electoral votes, but we won a decisive margin in the um, in in the popular vote. Now, your question, Jill, which is a really important question, is uh, and it it really connects with your first question about the issue of some of the down ballot races, and and one of the one of the plays in the playbook of the Republicans is to try to nationalize everything. Uh, these down ballot races, whether it's a state rep race or a congressional race. And there was a relentless usage of uh, you know, terms that frankly uh, are inaccurate, uh, but they do resonate with some people yeah. in South Florida, socialism, socialism, socialism. Uh, you know, the, the person who's an authoritarian leader in this country is Donald Trump. Donald Trump, uh, he loves hanging out with the likes of uh, Xi and uh, China or yeah, North Korea or uh, Erdogan in Turkey or I mean to, you know to allow Viktor Orban, the leader in Hungary, to have an audience in the Oval Office. He is a he is a, an authoritarian thug, and to give him an audience there is um, I think it, it just um, cheapens uh, the Oval Office. Um, at the same time, there are a lot of voters who you know, bought into this notion uh, that the Democrats were the socialists here. And uh, we have to be mindful of that. Um, the, 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 the person who's been defunding the police was Donald Trump, because when he refuses to provide aid to state and local governments, uh, guess what? They have to lay off firefighters and police officers and first responders and paramedics and, um, and other critical employees. Uh, but at the same time, they were relentlessly attempting uh, to uh, make use of that inaccurate term. You know, that I, I'm the guy who prosecuted Joe Arpaio, the lawless um, sheriff in Maricopa County, Arizona. And when he was engaged in his unlawfulness, we didn't try to defund Maricopa County. We reformed Maricopa County. And part of the reform was the voters spoke up and they defeated him at the polls. That's how you do it. But uh, Republicans relentlessly um, harped on uh, what Democrats actually weren't doing. But we have to understand that when you uh, spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars repeating a false narrative, uh, it will sink in with some. And and we do live in a world where um, people consume their news all too frequently in their own echo chamber. And, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a harsh reality that we, we must confront. I used to go on Fox News with some regularity because I wanted to speak to uh, voters who listen to that because I really believe that if they listen with an open mind, and many do, uh, that they would understand what Joe Biden is about. And the fact that Joe Biden won by 7 million votes, there were voters who are Obama, Obama, Trump, Biden voters. Um, and, and, and we were able to persuade 
uh, many of those voters. But we have more work to do, no doubt about it, Jill. What, what do you think the work is going forward? But before you answer that, you mentioned Joe Arpaio, and I have to remind our listeners that he was the first pardon that Donald Trump issued. And it was basically to say to America and to politicians, don't worry, you can violate the law, I'll pardon you. And well, absolutely. I mean, and, and people used to ask, you know, what's the difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump on, on law enforcement matters? And I said, oh, I got a two word answer for you, Joe Arpaio. Yeah. Uh, uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden prosecuted Joe Arpaio and Donald Trump pardoned Joe Arpaio. He's not a law and order sheriff. He's a lawlessness and disorder sheriff. I know because I investigated him. They, they literally hundreds of complaints of sexual assault, child abuse went uninvestigated under his watch because he was so hellbent on figuring out whether the day laborer was documented or undocumented. Um, his demonization of immigrants, uh, it made the Maricopa County, uh, Maricopa County generally, it, it was less safe and it was less democratic. Right. And, um, that, and he, that's ignored, he, he ignored court order to yeah. do better in terms of how he was handling immigrants. Um, and was held in contempt as a result exactly. by a federal judge. Exactly. So, but back to strategy. So what do you think Democrats could do going forward to be more effective in messaging and strategy? Well, I think the most important thing we need to do now as we prepare to take over the presidency uh, of the United States is, is deliver on our promises. The American people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, they, they want this pandemic in the rearview mirror. Uh, they want a president who doesn't send mixed signals. Uh, they want a president who can, um, who, who can pick up the pace of the vaccinations. A vaccine without a vaccination uh, is incomplete and insufficient. And when you have a president like Donald Trump who uh, doesn't pay any attention to the critical details of governance, uh, that is a real problem. And I am confident when you have a president like Joe Biden, as we will in short order, uh, who has assembled uh, a great team and who will work with others in the federal government who are spectacular in and of themselves like Dr. Fauci, but who have been uh, swimming upstream because of the mixed signals and opposition of this president. Um, I think the best message that we can send is that we are making government work. And when we make government work, we've made you safer because we put an end to this pandemic. We've helped you get your job back. We've helped you get your hope back. And America is a better nation, it's a cleaner nation, it's a more just nation. Those are the things we need to do. And then we'll have midterm elections in two years and we can show those tangible results to the American people. And it's only two weeks from today that we will have President Biden inaugurated. Um, but let me ask you, if you think there's anything that will change once Biden becomes president in terms of how the Republicans are behaving, um, once Donald Trump isn't the president, will they uh, sort of calm down and be more willing to cooperate, particularly with a president who has made it his life's work to cooperate? Well, I, I sure hope so. I worked for Ted Kennedy 
in the 90s. And Ted Kennedy always taught me that if you want to get something done in this town, you got to figure out ways to work across the aisle. And I know Joe Biden wants to get a lot done. And I know the American people demand that we get a lot done. And I have worked in the past uh, when I was labor secretary with a number of uh, Republican members of the Senate uh, and worked productively. Susan Collins being an example of someone who uh, was a good friend of Ted Kennedy's. Hmm. And uh, we got things done together. And so I know that Joe Biden and um, the Biden team that he has assembled are going to approach governance with that spirit of, um, I call it Venn diagrams. You know, there's things we're gonna disagree on and we're not gonna come to uh, terms with that. But you know what, if you work hard and come to the table in good faith, we can build those Venn diagrams, those, those areas of overlap where we have a shared interest. And I'll tell you, if you look at the American people, put aside who they voted for, um, there's an overwhelming consensus that we need to put an end to this pandemic. We need to get people back to work. Uh, people want to make sure they can keep their health care coverage if they have a pre-existing condition. Um, you know, th there's overwhelming consensus that 80, 70 or 80 percent of American people think we should uh, take care of our dreamers. Uh, they understand that climate change is very real. Overwhelming support for rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, things of that nature. And so we're going to really, um, you know, hour one of day one, you're going to see uh, a new sheriff in town. And uh, it is, um, it, and it's going to usher in, I think, uh, some really, really important, positive change. And, and we're going to we're going to approach this again. And I know because I, I, Joe Biden was the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee when I worked for Ted Kennedy on that committee, Jill. And I know that uh, he is going to approach this with that spirit of uh, we're all in this together. I hope enough Republicans will follow suit. Now, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. I know there will be some um, who, who won't follow suit, but I I, I choose to be optimistic in this uh, venture, and I am uh, hopeful and confident that we can muster that coalition of the willing, uh, because frankly, Americans are sick and tired of the political shenanigans in Washington, and uh, so am I. Yeah. So to accomplish all the things you're talking about, I think Victor wants to ask about the Georgia runoff, which sure. holds in the balance whether President Biden can do the things he promised in his campaign. Right. And I just want to say the Venn diagram is a great way to think about it. I don't think I've ever heard anyone kind of compare it to a Venn diagram, but thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I, okay. So for the Georgia runoff race, um, you know, probably the most immediate thing that we know about um, before we kind of get into um, the specifics of the runoff race is um, the damning leaked call uh, when, you know, Trump was on a phone call with uh, Georgia Republican officials um, like Senator or like Secretary of State uh, Brad Raffensperger and his deputy and others um, to kind of pressure them to change the outcome of the race. Do you think this um, phone call that we know about will change the, the dynamics of the race or the outcome of the race at all um, with the election being today? Well, I, I hope that um, the, that phone call and that phone call was a shakedown. I mean, that, that phone call was a scene out of the Sopranos uh, where th there's no subtlety in what he's saying. I lost, I lost the state, but I need you to find me 12,000 votes from last November. Uh, th there's been a recount and then another recount and then a third recount. And we know who won 
Georgia. It was Joe Biden. He won Georgia fair and square, and Donald Trump can't accept that. And, and what I hope uh, it illustrates, number one, is that the, the Republicans, again, are, are in a circular firing squad. They're in disarray. You have Trump uh, there yesterday, and yeah, this is Trump calling for the resignation of the Republican governor. Trump continuing to attack the Republican Secretary of State. Trump continuing to attack the integrity of the electoral process in Georgia, but also sending a mixed signal of saying, go vote. And, uh, you know, elections are won and lost at the margins. And it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if there is a cohort of voters who would have otherwise voted for the Republicans, but they're hearing Donald Trump say, well, I don't have faith in the electoral process and they're going to stay home. Um, that doesn't help his own candidates. At the same time, Victor, I think what this um, unconscionable tape that was released of that conversation, which was illegal, I mean, that's a shakedown. Um, what, what, it, what I hope it does for those who haven't yet voted, and over 3 million people have already voted, uh, but what I hope what it does for our voters is it motivates them to get out and vote for Raphael Warnock mm -hmm. and for uh, John Ossoff, because uh, the stakes are so high. And, and you know, when you listen to that tape, uh, the, the thing about it is there's no subtlety in it. And there's never been subtlety in Donald Trump's efforts to suppress voters of color. It's not just voters, it's voters of color. This is the same guy who was uh, one of the original adopters of the birther BS about uh, where Barack Obama was uh, born. He, he always, he, when he talks about voter fraud, what are the cities he references? Detroit, Atlanta. You know, it's cities with heavy African-American populations. This is an effort to suppress the vote generally, but in particular in communities of color. That's what he wants to do. And I hope every voter is offended by that, no matter what your station in life. And I think the best thing we can do is get out there and vote. Uh, one thing that's abundantly clear is that someone is going to win these races or two people are gonna win these race, races and they're gonna be razor thin. Um, I mean, Joe Biden won by 11,000 votes and change in November. Um, we've worked hard to expand the electorate. There's over 100,000 people who've already voted who didn't vote no, in um, November and um, over 50% of those are voters of color. We've really worked hard in communities of color to make sure that people who didn't vote before, get out there and vote. And people who voted before understand that they got to finish the work. And that is what uh, we are doing. All hands on deck today. For sure. And and hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens tonight. But um, as you said, I, I think just referring back to the phone call, it was quite stunning to kind of hear the desperation in Trump's voice. Um, and, you know, we'll see how that affects the race. But I want to get into something that you mentioned, which is uh, how these elections are won at the margins. And I think part of what you're getting at there is that voter turnout is important. And we saw that, you know, play out in the November election where there were only a few undecided voters. Would you say kind of the strategy of Democrats leading up to the Georgia election was that, um, you know, they're going to focus on turnout or was it more of like a persuasion effort um, and that they wanted to persuade the undecided voters or kind of what is like the- No, I mean, this, this, I mean, this election, I, I think there's a very small universe of voters who haven't figured out who they're going to vote for mm -hmm. in, in Georgia. This is a turnout election. So for instance, 
a good friend of mine in Georgia is now the new member of Congress from the 5th Congressional District. Um, and uh, Nakima Williams is her name. And Nakima is wonderful. Congresswoman Williams now. I love that. And she has the very, very um, challenging responsibility of taking uh, John Lewis's old seat. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, we've been working on in the 5th Congressional District is there are a sizable universe of voters who didn't vote in November. And we know they're going to vote for Democrats uh, overwhelmingly if they vote. And so we've done a lot of work uh, getting uh, those voters out. And it's not a persuasion campaign as much as it's a Folks, you know, January 5th, um, John Lewis told us, uh, you know, he gave us marching orders and uh, we've got to follow those marching orders. And, and that's, those are examples of things we're doing. It's, and it's not, a, you don't have to persuade folks. You just got to educate folks and make sure they get out there and, uh, and vote. And that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. And can you give us a little sense of what John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock are doing specifically to increase um, those who maybe didn't turn out in 2020, um, especially for my generation, kind of younger folks out there? Well, I mean, for instance, there are over 20,000 voters who turned 18 after the presidential election and before uh, today. So I mean, we know who they are and uh, we worked hard to register them and then to get them out to vote. I'm really heartened by the fact that uh, the percentage of younger voters in uh, this past November was more than it was in 2016. And that's good for John Ossoff and that's good for Raphael Warnock. And, mm -hmm. and the, the thing we're doing with young voters is making sure they know the huge differences on the issues. If you care about climate change, uh, you've got two climate deniers on the Republican side and two folks who understand that uh, climate change is real in Raphael and, and John. Um, if you care about healthcare, uh, John, the, 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 the choice is clear. If you care about building an America that works for everyone, my, I, as the parent of a 24, 21 and 18 year old, uh, what I understand from my children and through their friend groups is that they care deeply, not only about the issues that directly affect them, but they care about their neighbors. They care about those who don't have uh, the good fortune of having a roof over their head like my kids do or having uh, health care. Uh, we take it for granted in my family because they've always been insured, but they understand that others don't have that good fortune. They understand that COVID has exacerbated um, the gap between the haves and the have-nots, and the have-nots far exceed the haves in our country. And, and young people are offended by that. They see that as a moral outrage. And that's what we've been talking about. And that's why you, you listen to Raphael Warnock uh, talk about this. And he and, and, and he and John are both exceedingly passionate and articulate in these areas. And so uh, that's what we're doing. Victor and, and uh, young people hold a key to this election. Um, it, it's not only about winning a large percentage of young voters, it's about the denominator. <laughs> if you win a large percentage of a bigger vote, then that is more raw votes and elections are won and lost at the margins. We know that because Joe Biden just won by 11,000 votes and change. And I think if somebody's gonna win this election uh, by similar margins. I want it to be our folks and young people 
can make that difference. For sure. And I know, and I know for me personally, I don't use TikTok all that much, but when I do go on the app, I know I've been seeing a lot more John Ossoff, Raphael Warnock. So at least in the TikTok sphere, I've been getting a lot more political messages, which is a good sign. They're reaching our, they're reaching us. Well, you've got to reach the voters where they consume their news. You ask, what are we doing? We've done a much better job, I think, as a party of understanding where people consume their news. You know, in, in our parents' generation, they turned on the TV and watched the nightly news, and that was the source of news for 65, 70% of America. That's, that's not today's America. So if, if, if you're not a- advertising on TikTok, uh, you are not going to succeed. So another thing you mentioned was what young people care about. And I think both young and older generations care a lot about voter suppression. And in Georgia, we saw in 2018 with Stacey Abrams, what I would call voter suppression. Did you see anything in November or are you seeing anything now uh, in terms of the vote today that suggests that there's continuing voter suppression in Georgia? Well, I mean, Brian Kemp is uh, the current governor of, of Georgia, and he was the secretary of state at the time of the 2018 election, and the fox was guarding the hen house mm-hmm. in 2018. And I, I know Brian Kemp because I sued him back when he was secretary of state, and I headed up the oh, civil wow. rights division. If you, you know, if you were to build a hall of fame for voter suppression, uh, he would be a first ballot nominee. Uh, Brian Kemp, no doubt in my mind. Uh, and again, I say that from firsthand experience. And I think that we should have a debate, a robust debate about all these issues that we all care about. And then we should work hard to make it as easy as possible for eligible people to vote. And, and you know what happened this past November is we did make it easier for people uh, to vote by mail, to vote no excuse absentee. And what happened? More people voted, more than ever before in terms of the percentage. Uh, I think you got to go back to 1900 or, or, or maybe more to, to see a, a time when we did it in the middle of a pandemic. We should be celebrating that in a bipartisan manner. But here we are in uh, Georgia. And, and what Donald Trump was effectively asking was, I, I need people. You, you didn't suppress the vote in uh, 2020. I need you to do it now. And... That's why folks got to get out there and vote. Uh, the, the best response to the unconscionable tape that was released is for folks to get out there and exercise their franchise. It is, as John Lewis said, the most important tool. And, and let's, let's just be real clear. I mean, Republicans, you look at voter ID laws, you look at all of the um, shenanigans that they have been up to. They don't want more people to vote. And they, and by the way, they haven't been subtle. You don't have to take my word for it. You know, if you go and listen to some of the things that they have said, and, and they've been recorded, um, they're very clear that uh, Republicans believe. And again, this is not; these aren't my words. These, I'm not even paraphrasing. Um, elections are not won and lost by a majority of people. They never have been. That's what Republicans say. Our leverage in the election, Republicans say, goes up as the voting populace goes down. The, those are precise words. Uh, and I could cite the, the sources for you. Uh, precise words of Republicans. I think that's unconscionable. Um, if you can't win in the marketplace of ideas, you got no business running 
Um, and, and let's replicate what happened in 2020. I want to see record turnout in 2022. And by the way, we had near record turnout in 2018 as well. Um, I want to see us continue uh, to do that. And, and, and again, the, the, the robust turnout in a number of down ballot races helped Republicans. And that's, that, that's a reality. There were a number of congressional seats I thought we were going to win. Uh, that we didn't win. And, and it was in part due to the fact that Republicans turned out. And, you know, I, 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 I tip my cap to them. Uh, but I don't go to Congress or the state legislatures to say, oh, let's suppress the vote so they can't turn out in two years. No, I'm going to sit there and listen to voters and figure out why did you vote for that person? What was it about our message that didn't resonate? And then we're going to make sure that we field candidates whose values are going to align with their values. That's called democracy. As a lawyer, I have to ask you a follow-up question, which is listening about voter suppression. Is there any program in place right now for lawyers who are listening to this? Uh, it's too late to do anything in terms of the vote in the runoff, but it will be maybe something that they can do in terms of counting the results yeah. and resisting the challenges that are based on no facts that have been forth put forth by uh, President Trump and his colleagues. So is there anything that you can recommend to lawyers who are listening or to other volunteers who wanna get involved in making sure the count is fair? Uh, we've had an army of lawyers in November. I mean, we, obviously there were what, 70, 80 lawsuits and we, we have a voter protection team. We have a voter protection director and her job is to do nothing but protect the right to vote. Uh, if you go to IWillVote.com, and by the way, if you're listening to this uh, podcast and you live in Georgia and you don't know where to vote, go to IWillVote.com backslash GA for Georgia, and you can look up your polling place. It's that simple. Uh, we have, again, teams of lawyers. You can go to Democrats.org if you want to try and volunteer. Uh, this, I, I don't know when the vote will be counted with finality. Uh, I, I hope it happens uh, as soon as possible. But I want to make sure, to, for me, it's less speed than it is accuracy. We want to make sure every vote is counted. And we want to make sure that if, if voters vote and those ballots are challenged, we want to make sure that those um, properly exercised votes actually do count. And that's where lawyers come in. And uh, we were able to protect that right to vote for quite literally thousands of voters in Georgia in the general election. And, um, and we're ready again uh, today. Yeah. Um, so a couple more questions on the podcast. So first is, you know, I'm going to try not to be glued to my television screen all day today. But um, for those who might be a little bit anxious and might be glued to their TVs all day, um, what do you think they should expect? Or um, I guess, which areas of Georgia do you think we should pay attention to, um, to kind of help us kind of determine whether how, how we're doing as Democrats? Well, we have an, uh, every zip code strategy, Victor. So we're, we're leaving nothing to chance. We're organizing everywhere. And, and I think that's the key to success. Obviously, we will do well in the metropolitan Atlanta area. We want to make sure it's doing well. Remember, I said denominators. You know, we want to win a large percentage of a very large denominator. But we're not limited to metro Atlanta. Very active in Savannah. Very active in Macon. Very active really in every corner of the state uh, because... You know, there are areas where the definition of success is making sure we get to 40% and we've organized there because if we can get to 40% as opposed to say 30% where we were in the past, uh, that's, that's the key to success. I mean, it's, it's, 
you want to run up the score where you know your voters are, and then you want to control the bleed where you know that you have challenges. And, and that was a key to success. Joe Biden uh, held his own in certain portions of the state where uh, I think Republicans were expecting to do uh, even better. And he excelled across uh, areas where we knew we were going to do well. And he excelled with a large denominator. So um, obviously you wanna watch uh, Metro Atlanta, but don't, don't limit your view uh, to Metro Atlanta. You know, take a look at some of these other uh, places across the state. So our last questions for you are, uh, you've announced that you're not going to run for re-election as chair of the DNC. So I wanna know two things. One, what are your future plans? And two, is there anyone you hope will succeed you? Well, I, I don't uh, know what my future plans will be. And, and in no small part, Jill, it's because uh, I wanna sprint to the finish line. Uh, I can take care of myself after my tenure is up. I can't take care of Georgia on January 8th, because the election is today. And so I'm a firm believer in making sure I run through the tape, I sprint through the tape. So I, I don't know. And whoever uh, is my successor, I'm going to work very closely with. I, I inherited a DNC that was a fixer upper, to be uh, frank. We had to rebuild our infrastructure and rebuild trust. Uh, because the mission of the DNC is to win elections up and down the ballot. And we do that by building strong parties and building strong partnerships and fielding strong candidates and leading with our values. And I'm really proud of the fact that I leave a DNC that's far stronger than uh, when I got there. Uh, we, we've been able to win elections. And, and the, the beauty, Jill, is that we're built to last. Uh, with the investments we've made in data and technology. To, so, I mean, so your listeners understand 8,000 8, campaigns used our data and technology infrastructure this past November. So if it's weak, we're hurting everyone. And if it's strong as it has been, we're helping people. Uh, that's critical. And again, um, we've, we've assembled a great team. I wanted the DNC to be a destination employer. It has become that. And uh, so many really, really talented people who will um, be able to help us uh, sustain that success. So whoever my successor is, I'm proud to hand them the keys to an organization that helped Joe Biden win, that helped others win up and down the ballot. And the key is to sustain those victories and then to help Joe Biden govern by communicating clearly uh, our accomplishments and what we have been doing. For sure. You have a lot to be proud of. And I know the finances are better now than they were when you took over. And so whatever you decide to do, we hope you'll come back and tell us more about it when you decide on it. But in the meantime, yeah. vote and stay alive and vote. Yes, yeah. for sure. Well, no. thank you so much, Chairman Prize. We really appreciate it. Have a good day. And uh, again, get out there and vote. Su voto es su voz. Yes. Take thank care. you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Intergenerational Politics. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to support future episodes. Thanks so much. See you in our next episode. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.